Continuing quest episode uh, 174? Mm-hmm. What? One six one something. Are you, are you just like guessing numbers until you run into the right one? Yeah. Yes, he is in fact. Let's let's do a quick check. One seventy four. One seventy four. Okay. I heard you say seventy four, and I got very confused. Yes. One seventy four. One seventy four. One seventy four. I'm your host, tired, and with me as always. Uh, freelance behemoth slayer, family master David McBurney. And beating the heat in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaijin Monogatari. So, sounds like we're all doing well. Wheels clearly in tip-top shape. Teething child, etc. Ah, that'll do it. Plus, following a West Coast hockey team playing games that start at 10.30 at night, my time. Watching the Krakens? (laughs) No, no, no. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But listen, we're all, ha- we're all going to be fans of fix. the Kraken. Because that is the best name. <laughs> Release the Kraken. Yes. yes, exactly. If they don't make that joke at least once per game in the commentary. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that that's going to be inescapable. Yeah. <laughs> so, other than being clearly very tired, how are we? What games are we playing? <laughs> well, I was... Wanted to start, um, actually, Spirit Tracks on DS last week, except the cartridge doesn't register in my 3DS. Yeah, I was going to ask, was that the thing you were tweeting about, a dud cartridge? Yeah. I managed, after four attempts, I got it to actually acknowledge the cartridge's existence on the 3DS menu, and then got an error message on boot up. Huh. Huh. Yep. Never had one spectacularly. Yeah, (laughs) so I went to the very next thing I could just grab off my shelf which is adding to the long list of very strange and interesting and silly games I've played this summer. Oh, boy. Want to take a guess? Mm. Uh, so, it's a 3DS game. It is a Sega game. Sega game. Uh, What's Sega even do on 3DS? Uh, just, I don't know. It's seven. made by the guy who did... Um, it's made by the same guy who did um, Yakuza. I didn't realize... Nagoshi did anything on 3DS. Is is this anything that ever came out in English? Nope! Oh. <laughs> okay, strike all my answers off the list. <laughs> um, the uh, style of the story is incredibly shonen manga. I'm going to just assume I've never heard of it. <laughs> Well, it has been. Rep- it was reported in Japandemonium several times, and I actually played the sequel at a TGS a few years ago. Um, yeah, there's two of them. I got them together for 600 yen total. Wow. Yeah, I was that's like, cheap. yeah, I wasn't really thinking about getting these, but you know, that's a really good deal. I was wanting to get this other game as well, and that adds up to 2,000 yen, so that's two stamps on my point card. Let's go for it. <laughs> Actually, no, it added up to 3,000 yen, so three stamps on my point card. Nice. So, yeah, the game in question is Hero Bank. Oh. Don't recall this. The main character, main character. I got to point this out. The main character and his friends are fifth grade, Japan. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the main character is competing in what is basically a virtual reality mixed martial arts um, battle royale um, 
what's the right word here? Uh, not blood match, but um, oh, wait, I just blanked on the the uh, thing. But it's all about money. Prize <laughs> fight. Prize fight. Oh uh, yeah, prize fight. So it's elementary school virtual reality prize fighting, mixed martial arts. That's a lot. Using, using a whole lot of terminology from Japanese pro wrestling. Oh, I'm into that. Yeah. I mean, the, the battleground is a ring. Um, and there are elements of kayfabe all, the way, all through this. You can pin your opponent at the end. You can get up on one of the the corners of the ring and just start shouting to the virtual audience and they will throw you money. Oh, that owns I'm literally that. throwing you money because all of your attacks are paid for. Ah. In cash that you pick up on the, um, off the floor of the ring. Hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting push pull. Hmm. Yes. And, uh, the main character, um, so in, in this game, you've got different where, um, basically it's avatar skins and uh, you can rent them first and you can rent them hmm. out if you actually own them for money hmm. but main, the main character's primary skin is a superhero named Enter the Gold <laughs> and hmm. his entire outfit is themed around the Japanese yen symbol <laughs> I mean it yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. It just keeps getting like weirder and weirder. It sounds like it's committed to its aesthetic. <laughs> and his primary rival's hero outfit is called the Dominion Dollar. <laughs> well, okay, yes. then. Yes. And like I said, this just, I mean... Structurally, it's somewhere between your average Pokemon game, uh, Metabots, and Me Mega Man Battle Network. It's just, it has its own little aesthetic that it really, really pulls for. <laughs> and it is, I'm like, okay. I'm not sure how this got to be a game, much less two, but sure. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, what are you playing, Wheels? Uh, Beyond the Labyrinth. In English. So, how far have you gotten? Uh, just, oh, in English, good. Just started up, yes. <laughs> so, I I hacked one of my 3DSs. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the was, hell process. Yes. <laughs> but I was looking around to see what fan translations there were, because you know, I hadn't really looked at this too much. Mostly looking for some of the Dragon Quest ones. And saw that there was one for Beyond the Labyrinth that somehow I'd never heard about. So uh, I got that mm -hmm. all set up and working, and seems to be decent enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I started fresh, because I wasn't sure if... Mm -hmm. uh, well, actually, I wasn't sure what the process would, would be to get my save off my actual cart. Uh or if that's even possible, so just started fresh. I would be shocked if the saves were compatible. Yeah, and it, it's nice to to kind of get explanations for things and you know not have to guess a lot of stuff. So it's it's sweet. It's, hey, and again, if I'm remembering right, can't, can't you turn on subtitles for the girl from one of the menus? 
yes, you have to. Otherwise, obviously... You have no idea what she's saying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thankfully I noticed that in somewhere in the notes. Otherwise, I may have missed it and been like, wait, where? what is she saying? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, because she's got some really nice things to say at times. But I was going to say, you need to have some pretty good listening ability in Japanese to figure it out. Uh-huh. I was... You can't believe how happy I was to be actually able to understand what was going on in that game. <laughs> so, but yeah, it seems seems to be a fine translation so far. Like, the, all the text is in like pretty small, like little squares. I wonder if they considered a localization and it was troublesome, or I, I don't know. But I, I don't envy whoever did this fan translation because it seems like it was probably annoying yeah I mean if the letters seem to be in individual blocks that may have just been uh, like a straight kana to letters thing yeah because uh, that, that's usually one of the issues uh, I remember the one and only time I got involved with anybody attempting any sort of translation that was something that they had to figure out was um, especially things like um Putting commonly put, uh, commonly matched letters together as a single symbol, like CH. Mm. Oh yeah, 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 and so things like that, and all sorts of wrapping and kerning issues. Yeah, that, that's generally something that you have to deal with when you're localizing any sort of video game from Japanese to English, just because the fonts fit differently. Yeah. Wow, they even took the time to translate the manual. That's pretty sweet. Oh, cool. Very nice. Yeah, I like it. It's it's we've talked about it before. The game just has this great aesthetic to it and the combat obviously is not super complicated, so it's, it's basically rock, paper, paper, scissors. scissors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're not far enough in to get some of the interesting Stuff that the girl can do. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, first major level, she gets a magic attack, and so suddenly um, you get some extra quirks to hitting things right. And then, like, three levels in, you get a shielding ability, which really helps break the game sometimes. Nice. Because it, it's supposed to shield her from damage, up to how whatever percentage of your health the character ha- shielding character has, it also takes that character out of the turn order huh. hmm. until you put them back in. And you can choose when to unshield and put the character back into turn order. Huh. So you can use it to mess with turn order. Massively. Yes, I love a good game where you get to mess with turn order. <laughs> yes, and let me tell you from the the final boss. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I, I didn't try to use too many items at times, so I had a ton of things stored up by the end, and there's no stores, so you really do have to just hold on to stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was abusing color changes and um, and um, uh, bonus bonus modifiers and turn order like crazy. Nice. Yeah, because it's like, this is obviously the last boss, why am I saving these things? Let's use them. <laughs> So suddenly it's like, okay, I managed to get eight turns in a row. <laughs> One time. Well, that's ridiculous. Yep. 
while boosting the girl's attack power to like 50,000. So. And she got the ninth hit in. That was a lot of damage. <clears throat> so, are you actually live streaming uh, um, the, uh, Beyond the Labyrinth now? Yes. Yeah. Very beautiful game. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say, so, one, one thing I would missed when I played it in Japanese was how to actually switch targets, since it's <laughs> on the touchscreen. And with, that's obviously very important to the combat. <laughs> Yay! So, it's nice yeah. to know that. But yeah. So, yeah, for audience reference, if you um, the game is basically rock, paper, scissors, based on three different colors. And if you hit something with an element that it is weak against, the damage goes up to a number on the screen, and the next time something uses that same color element, they get healed for however much that is. So you really do have to pay attention to this stuff. Which is why those color-changing items are so useful in the final battle, because you can just keep denying the boss healing. <laughs> yeah, let me let me talk about the hacking process for a bit, because I'm sure some people are interested in that. Sure. Because it was ridiculous. <laughs> Like, forty-step process. Pretty quickly, going through the process, I'm like, "How did anyone ever figure this out?" So, and also partway through the process, I realized, well, because I'm on, I'm hacking a Japanese 3DS, I probably could have skipped part of this, because the whole, <laughs> because the whole beginning part of the process is going through some weird thing where you. Uh, you have to, you have to add this bot to your friend list first of all, and then somehow that generates some weird you <laughs> some weird code, and you have to uh, like figure out the ID for your 3DS, which you do by looking at some file on the th on the SD card, and then put that through some web-based tool, which was not which was the link provided in the guide was not available so i had to like search around and find you know somewhere else where it was available uh, <laughs> but then that generates some weird file and then you open this it's like a dsi file that you open in data management and it causes the 3ds to crash in some weird way that a very say. useful crashing. Yes. Condition. But the end result of this part of the hack is you launched the Japanese version of Flipnote Studio. <laughs> Finally. And that and there is some sort of exploit you can activate from there. So I, I didn't actually I was say look at... the 3DS was I was gonna say the 3DS was designed in reaction to the R4 hacking issues with the yes. DS, right? Right. So, Very much so. So they they tried to design this to be the handheld equivalent to the PS3's unhackability, right? Uh, the PS3 eventually became very hacked. Yes. Just, uh, yes, but it still took them like eight years. Sure. It's more, it took a long time to emulate, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, that was about a third of the process. The next part of which... <laughs> oh, God. What even was the next part? Oh, I'd have to look it back. But there were like 30 more steps. 
<laughs> and like do do these specific things to launch this thing and oh jeez so if you've ever wondered if like the copy protection of the 3DS was a success yes it was <laughs> the giant yeah. pain cuz I 3DS in the first place yeah cuz i mean yeah yes this this hack works on the latest which i assume is probably the last version of the 3ds firmware but it still takes a ridiculous number of steps and maybe at some point mm-hmm. somebody will figure out something easier but i mean it, it, it we're beyond the point where like anybody really cares so uh yeah um kudos to whoever was constantly updating their firmware and dealing with all these exploits but uh yeah if anyone is interested in hacking a 3ds i don't really recommend it unless you have more than one because I'm pretty sure if you screw something up it is possible to like brick your system. Yeah, which is the other the other way that you make sure that uh Yeah. And the the other thing about this is you just need to be comfortable with like doing weird things to a system like this and sort not, of keeping track of what it's doing. Right. And also just be like if you if a step is something from a step is like like there's broken links or stuff like that or you can't find certain files they're referencing, you just have to be comfortable being able to find the information you need, which uh, I am at this point because I've hacked other systems in the past, and so uh, not for the faint of heart, but if you if you've done like some something like this before, it's relatively safe, I would think. And one of the things they yeah, just (laughs) not simple. And one of the things they recommend doing at the end is doing like a a backup of of the firmware, essentially, so that if something goes wrong, you'll have a way to restore things. So uh, there's a pretty good guide out there. But I mean, again, like I said, one of the link, one of the things they linked to was not there, and I had to and do some quick digging. I found it pretty quick, but. Because part of the whole thing is you have to, it, a file gets generated on your SD card, and then you have to upload it to like a little web app that generates some other file. And, you know, if that, if that web app is at some point not available at all, the whole hack doesn't work. And considering part of the hack involves like a bot on your friend list, if at some point. There's no more friend that bot ever goes down. Well, yeah, or if the bot goes down, yeah. Like I was worried that that was the case while I was going through this because it took it takes a little bit for it to the the bot to like accept your friend request. So it's it's just not fun. It's not like the DS where you order this shady little cart and put it in your DS and boom, you can do. Sh- do shit. <laughs> it's all hacks. Or, it's all free. Or the PSP where you download and download a thing and run it and you're done. <laughs> and then you just have to run it every time you want to run hacked software. This is not a soft process. It's not no. a simple process. No. And I, I, I don't envy whoever had to figure this. I don't want to say had to figure it out. Whoever... Don't envy the kind of I envy the kind of focus required to do it. Yes, I, I <laughs> whoever, whoever teased it out. Yeah, I, 
I, I don't understand how they figured this out. I, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't, and I don't think I want to get it either. Mm -hmm. So good luck to you future Switch hackers, I guess. Because <laughs> I'm sure... You know there's always people working on it. It's like a challenge. Of course. It's uh, definitely a huge part of it. Yeah, and I, I imagine a lot of people that do stuff like this end up working in the actual soft, software and computer hardware industry. Because yeah. yeah, you gotta have you gotta have some kind of smarts to be able to figure this nonsense out. But yeah, that's that's the long and short of it. Um, it there's some cool things you could do, like what I'm doing on stream now, being able to actually stream the video from my 3ds. Uh, I guess it obviously the audio would be off anyway, but I guess it does not stream the audio, so you'd have to do like just copy. Do some kind of cable from your the headphone jack of the 3DS into your computer. <laughs> but, I mean, that's better than whatever expensive 3DS system you'd have to buy to, to be able to stream otherwise. You ever save before doing something and then feel really glad that you did? Yes. <laughs> what did you run into? Boy, howdy, I was just like... Eh, I should probably get a temperature on how long it's going to be before I can kill the crazy tank. What, what's the reason for the save? Or the because thankfulness? I needed to make sure that I would not get completely murdered by the crazy tank. And I got murdered by the crazy tank. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, crazy tank. Okay. He is, uh... Crazy. Powerful. At least for this point it's in the game. It's off the rails of the crazy tank. Going off the rails on a crazy tank. But yeah. Well, I say that, and then there's a boss later on that is actually a, t a train. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Spoilers. But yeah, I'll. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of there. So. Yeah. But yeah, so I just. Uh, as is clear, still puttering around in Metal Max when I've got time. Including during this podcast. Um, so you've just got the patrol car? Yeah, I've got the patrol car. I'm sort of wandering the and first full real party. area. Yeah, full party, of course. Um, have you tried putting them all in the car? Uh, I haven't actually tried putting multiple people in the same car. I should probably try that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not something I did a lot with the earlier games because I kept forgetting it was an option, but it kind of saved my butt a few times in Xeno. Um, mm. But yeah, you can put everybody, um, depending on the car, you can put two, three, or even four, uh, two or three people in there, or even four with the dog, and yeah. then have like one person doing um, all the evasive maneuvers that the hunters learn, and the others just firing everything they've got. Yeah, I'm not seeing the option to actually put other people into the patrol car. I was going to go looking for like the other vehicle you mentioned, but it's in one of these craters, and I'm still looking for it. <laughs> yeah. And it's a motocross bike, too. I mean, the crazy tank is your second vehicle option. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The bike is more just like, uh, it's useful to have a second vehicle just in case. Um, I'm trying to remember where the the abandoned, or the um, shell yard is. Um, go north and west above the crater waste area, and you might find a spot where you can buy or locate um, extra shells to use in your tank. Mm. And some of those might help. 
Yeah, I've just found, like, this weird purple mist area, so I'm just messing around in here. Uh, yeah, that would be part of the crater wastes. Yeah, yeah, I just hadn't... I hadn't seen that before, like, there was actually, like, a separate non-world map part of the crater wastes at this point, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, watch out, there is a wanted monster in there. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be appearing right now, it's probably for the best, so they probably get, uh... Yeah. Wrecked. Yeah. Well, thankfully, it's also one that you can do without vehicles if you're lucky and go just If things out. go the right way. If things go the right way. Yeah, it's also... I, I have no idea how they would translate this one properly into English, but it's the hyperfluid pudding. Oh, I've seen, like, data on that at the Hunters Association. Oh, uh, okay. Um, just to satisfy my curiosity, what did they call it? I think it was just labeled like mega pudding, but I'd have to check. Okay. Um, mega yeah, because the, the the kanji in Japanese would have been hyperfluid, um, hyperfluid, something or other body. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm bound to find the bike eventually, and I just sort of want it now at this point. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll know when it's when you find it. It's. Uh, you will see a rope sticking out of one of the pools and tied to a stake, and you can just pull it out. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Battle Max uh, continues unabated, except for when it's abated because I've been very tired this week, but I'm still playing it. That's what's important. I love the beginning of that game. Which specific part? Like just the general. Uh... Well, I only I've only played a few minutes so far after finishing. So just the, the fact that it starts with you getting uh, revived, yeah, uh, from the dead. Yeah, and the doctor's like, "Oh, you were dead or something," and you get the hell out of my office, essentially. <laughs> like yeah. his thought process is like, "Oh, you actually it, it worked. You got back up. Well, okay, I'm glad that worked. Get out." <laughs> <laughs> Come I back just like you the, die again. Yeah. I like the, um, the design aesthetic of the first town where you have what's left of a billboard sign that has been shot into the image of a, like the outline of a woman with one eye hole and a teardrop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weeping Mama, I think it was the name of the town. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. That is one of the things I missed so much about with Xeno was some of the incredibly creative town designs. Yeah, yeah, like, you you don't want just, like, here's another bombed-out shelter. How's that yep. for you? <laughs> but, yeah. Yep. No, I want, I want, like, partially buried underground shopping malls. I want a, like, a parabolic antenna that's now a water reservoir. Um, I want an abandoned real estate agency. I want, <laughs> I don't know, a, a half- a uh, like a half-drowned office building. It's a lot of good options and turned uh, inverted aquarium. Yeah. A lot of good options that Zeno didn't really avail itself of. So many different options that they did not avail themselves of. Oh hey, someone dropped um, this. This bee dropped an Uzi. Yay. Sure, well, yeah, I mean, that's what they have uh, instead of stingers. This is the future. This is what peak B performance looks like. Mm -hmm. Th this is also what happens when the apocalypse ha is caused by an AI that's more 
interested in preserving the environment somehow. Yeah, no matter how his ideas of how to preserve it are. I mean, canonically, it was like, okay, supercomputer, let, um, let's try to figure out how to save the world's environment uh, from various issues. And the computer crunches things you know down. What, you know what would save a lot of bees if they had guns? No, it's the emergent AI that formed out of the computer decided that the number one cause of all the world's ecological disasters was humans. I mean, fair point. We're kind of we're kind of good at that. Completely true. But yeah, and so part of its method of getting rid of the humans was to com- commandeer large portions of the inv- of the ecosystem. This fuck, this hermit crab is inside of a car. Yes. Yes, it Sorry. is. I just just wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> but yes, you have hermit cars. Oh, I, hermit oh cart. that pun is awful. Hermit cab. <laughs> yes. That's not yes. awful. That's perfect. I'm so unhappy right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, <laughs> then you would hate this one game that's coming out in Japan. Um, Kenkakani. Yeah. Literally, Fight Crab. Oh, I've seen Fight Crab. Yeah. And remembering that in Japanese, katakana, there is no obvious difference between crab and club. Yeah. Crab. Wow. It's like uh, hearing about uh, people in Japan that think that uh, Pizza Hut's name is uh, Pizza Hat which I kind of want it to be. Yeah. Oh, this reminds me of some another oddity with um, with Hero Bank. Yeah. So like I said, it's prize fighting. Yeah. And around the ring, you can see paid advertising. Like um, sponsors, yeah. corporate sponsors. And, yeah. you know, in most games, it would be some, like either some in-canon random business or some tongue-in-cheek parody of an actual business. Yeah. I don't know how Sega pulled this off, and I had to look pretty closely to make sure this is true, but you've got Pizza Hut, you've got Kentucky Fried Chicken, you've got the <laughs> Tokyo Fire and Police Departments, you've got... <laughs> I'm not quite sure what some of these others are, but I'm quite sure that they are, in fact, actual businesses. Mm-hmm. And I, had, I looked a couple of times in backgrounds for different attacks, and it's like, yes, that is, in fact, Pizza Hat. Or not hut. It's not hat. It's hut. <laughs> that is actually Kentucky Fried Chicken. It is not a joke. <laughs> this, this, they, they, the licensing department came through. <laughs> I have never seen actually, actual, com- corporate sponsorship licensed in a game like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there was Hamatora where the the developers actually did come to an agreement with a smoothie store in Kobe to make it central to the game just for the hell of it. But that's on a, that's on a completely different level. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I was not ready for Hermit Cab. Uh, but, I mean, bravo, even though I'm also furious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you weren't furious at the boa constrictor I, you cut out. I didn't hear. Sorry, the 
the snake vacuum cleaner. What was that yeah, called? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what was that? I ran into it just a few minutes ago, and I remember that its name is very of that type, but yeah. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> what about the toaster rats? Oh, those th- those things I just love for like how weird their design is in general. Oh yeah, um, I mean, there's still nothing compared to what Metal Saga had sometimes, but it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and so wheels for yes. Beyond the Labyrinth. Was I right in stating at one point that the girl, um, the girl's design was on par with some PlayStation 3 titles? I think so. For graphics, yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's amazing what you can do when you have only one actual human character to render in the entire game. It's true. But still, yeah. Very, very nicely done. I remember... In the credits, there was a credit for the motion cap, um, the mocap um, actress. Hmm. So, so they had motion capture involved there. Well, I, I yeah, I really wish it'd come over here. I think um, people would have gushed over that animation a lot. Like the the only game I can think of with anything close to that sort of quality animation would be like Monster Hunter on 3DS, and that's about it. Yeah. Glad to be finally be yeah. able to play it in English. Now somebody translate Metal Max Four next. Because hey, you've already jailbroken your 3DS. Yep, I'm ready. Again, I think the the same group implied they were doing two returns and then four, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully sometime in the next five years. Hopefully. I googled Metal Max translations, but and Google thought that I was looking for how to translate Metal Max into French. You'll never guess. It's Metal Max. <laughs> <laughs> wow, quel surprise! Okay, yeah, the okay. It's, oh, yeah, it's two reloaded, not two returns. That's a different game. Uh, yeah, returns, reloaded, and reborn. Their yeah. remakes, their remakes really like the letters R E. Yeah, I mean that's true of a lot of Japanese games I've noticed. Because I mean, uh, I remember Resident Evil 2's remake in J- in Japan was just called uh, Biohazard Re Two, <laughs> which has a second layer upon there, but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, okay, I just looked at the, there was a post on Reddit some two months ago that was talking about how the Metal Max 3 translation at the time was in closed beta, and they immediately started work on 2 Reloaded, because that has a lot of assets and programming shared. I was going to say, 2 Reloaded was built on 3. Yeah. So. They apparently just... They apparently just started translating, but they estimate the script is about 25% done. So, 
that I one think, might be out in a couple of years. I think most of the enemies are the same, too. Wouldn't surprise me. I would imagine that they were making a lot of use of shared assets with that one. Oh, and 4, too. But, I mean, the entire series likes to reshare assets for things like monsters. Yeah, I mean, that's healthy. That's how you, that's how you keep a series going. Yeah. That and that, I think the the games have had the same soundtrack since the very since like the first two. Yeah, I mean some obviously new songs each time, but the main core of the soundtrack has never changed that much. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so there's there's actually dedicated work on bringing fan translated metal maxes, so that's nice. Metal max, metal max. But, yeah. No, if only Should we get to some questions fairly soon? I also understand uh, yeah. Eric yeah, we, wants we've to come got on a, if he can as well. Yeah, we've got a guy in the podcast's uh, chat, um, channel who has left 12 questions for us. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. I, I uh, miscounted the last time I talked with you about this, Wheels, because I forgot that he had posted them in two sets, oh, not one. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Fireminer, whose last, whose first question came last episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you very much. It's always nice when someone comes in and has a lot of things to ask. Yes. So I, I believe he's new to the Discord, and he's just enthusiastic, and we thank you for this. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I know Budai already complimented him on the questions. Nice. They're pretty. They're pretty good. I read through them. Yeah. Let's see, but yeah, and we also have one question that was left on the episode one seventy three comment page. But uh, yeah, we'll get around to that. Uh, like I said, I think Eric also wanted to step in for a bit, so okay. if we can, I'll pull them in and work this out. Uh, but yeah uh oh boy where to, where to even start uh, <laughs> i am glad to be left with where to start uh once i open the discord and also finish the adding people process Add. okay uh we were on okay discord discord yeah discord. see if i can score the most number of questions in a single post uh, what do you think when remakes don't have a significant change in graphical style but have entirely new character designs? I remember not being too fond of Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology when it did that. I wonder how things will turn out with the upcoming Metal Max Xeno Reborn. Oda Unknown's character designs were actually what made me curious about the series in the first place. Well, I can oh, tell you for a fact that the actual character designs have not changed any for the mm. remake. Um, yeah, yeah, because they didn't really need to. Um, yeah, you don't actually see this happen a lot when the core game doesn't change much, but the characters do. Yeah, the only ones I can think of are like some of the weird edge cases. Like Tales of Fantasia does it with a couple characters because like they hired a character illustrator once Namco got involved, but they didn't actually change the sprites in the Super Nintendo version. And then eventually they. With the remakes, they just redid all the sprites, so the new sprites looked yeah. like the character illustrators' uh, illustrations. Yeah, I could believe that. And, I mean, I guess you could apply some of the Pokemon remakes. Yeah, yeah, some of those get some real, some yeah. more radical alterations. 
Yeah, I mean, the first one that came to mind for me was actually Magi Nation, because the Game Boy Advance version had character sprites that were a different size than the ones in the American Game Boy Color version. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually change the proportions of a lot of the environments in towns. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you had all these character sprites that did literally did not fit in the chairs of the towns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, that's regrettable. That, that's that's one of several really odd things about that game's um, transition to Game Boy Advance. Um, that and the fact that the item list was set alphabetical order. Oh in no, English, English alphabetical order, not Japanese. Yeah. However, thankfully, all of the healing items began with a B in English. So they all ended up towards the top of the list, no matter what. Yeah, at least they were always in the same place. Yeah. But (laughs) yeah, I I remember looking through the item list at first and was like, nothing makes sense here, because again, you have to remember that in Japanese, K and G would come together alphabetically. Yeah. Things like that. And this just does not look like anything past the A. Yeah, I would would assume that... Japanese alphabetical order. I haven't looked at a lot of menus that are alphabetically sorted in Japanese, but I assume that they're done in just like the order you would typically recite kana in. Yes. It's called the 50 sounds order. Yeah, yeah, I always forget. I I know the phrase, but I forget what it is in Japanese, but yeah. So basically you start with the the vowel line, Uh, then kakikukeiko, then sashisuseso, and the Altered consonants like G or Z um, go with their main form. So yeah. it's A, A, K, and G, S, Z, and J, T, D, and sometimes J. Very rarely J. <laughs> yeah, there's only, there are a few words wh- where it is a chi with a tenten on it. Yeah, I've never seen that at the beginning of a word. Well, I've I mean, only ever the- seen it as rendaku. No, um, there is a word in Japanese that is G, spelled C-H with a ten-ten. Huh. Yeah, I'm just saying, I, I won't pretend that I would be fully knowledgeable, but it seems very rare. Yeah, it is in fact incredibly rare. Um, but since um, but since it goes, um, it goes like regular alphabetical order by each letter down the list eventually, then sometimes it becomes an issue. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, so yeah. Uh, that was a different game. Um, what was another one? Any others? Uh, uh, the Lufia 2 remake. Oh, that's a regrettable <laughs> one. I mean, honestly, I liked some of the character redesigns. I just didn't like the fact that they took all the puzzles out. It was so weird, because like, it seemed like the point of making it an action RPG was to essentially make it like Zelda, because the dungeons are already Zelda dungeons. Yeah. But that is they, such a weird game, that like, remake. Conceptually, Espolis slash Curse of the Sinistrals is not a bad idea. It's just executed terribly. <laughs> yeah. I have that one on my shelf, too. I really should play it sometime just to see how bad. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking of... One, one, of the, one of the things that stuck out in my mind of something where it did this well was... Uh, the Lunar remakes from Sega CD to PS1 have mm. a really cute idea because they redesign the characters, but they do it to make them... So, like, the characters in uh, Silver Star were designed to look like about 12-ish 
because uh, because you know that's JRPG like, especially '90s JRPG. That is the age that you're targeting. And then with Silver Star Story on the Saturn, which is like four years later, they're like, eh, you know, we'll redesign them just a little bit so that like in the in the cutscenes they look like they're closer to 16-ish, which is about where they would expect the audience to be at that point, which is kind of a cute idea. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that, that's that's one of those cases where I think that this, the minor redesign done there actually worked pretty well. Yeah. Let's see. What else was I thinking of? Um... Okay, the one and only Gust game for the 3DS, the Tele Rorona remake. Oh, that weird remake that came out at a weird time. Game is weird. And I still don't know why that was the only Atelier game on the 3DS. That's that's a strange thing. Like this, this was a fairly successful platform. I don't know why you didn't do anything with it. I mean, they made four games for DS. Yeah. Okay, technically the fourth one wasn't Atelier, but it kind of was. But still, Atelier and all but name. Seriously, I mean, it was Workshop, not Atelier. Uh, Kojo <laughs> instead of Atelier, but still, yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Kojo, that's like so, Workshop or Factory. I've I've heard that in like Yume Kojo, the fucking thing that Mario Brothers Two got made off of. It, it should have. It, it would probably be Workshop. Timely mm. workshop or something like that. Mm. So, I mean, it was hard to properly translate the pun in the title. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's rare that you see games that are super disloyal to the art direction of what they're based off of. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, every Gust game that featured Marie mm-hmm. somehow managed to keep Kohime Ose's art style for her, mm-hmm. even when it slightly clashed with everyone else in the game. They <laughs> kept her. Oh, I just thought of one actually: the Star Ocean PSP remakes. the The art style is like much in the PSP ones, much more like late aughts anime, whereas the. Uh, PS1 versions, the character artwork is all very, very uh, late 90s anime style. And, like, if you don't know the difference between how those two things look, I mean, just compare the two, because it kind of gives you a rough, like, outline of how how much what was popular in anime character designs had shifted in those ten or so years. <laughs> but... Uh, they, so, they actually yes, in the audience if you are an art student looking for comparison photos right there <laughs> but uh, I remember they actually in, when they ported the PSP remake of one the PS4 and switch they actually made like a compromise art style uh, for first departure R that I think captures the original a little better uh in terms of like it feels less out of place than the original than the first remakes but it was one of those things where it was like this bothers me but it doesn't bother me enough to complain because it's not like the new art is bad it just doesn't look like what i expect based on the the vintage of the game and how much everything else about it is so heinously late 90s <laughs> 
That was that was a weird remake in general because they also gave it a second Japanese dub. Weird. Yeah, like it kept it kept the same English dub, but got a different Japanese dub. It was, <laughs> and so you could in the English version you could choose English dub, Japanese dub, second Japanese dub. But yeah, what they included both of them. Yeah, they included both, which well, is nice. Completion. Like that's good, yeah. but it's weird, but it's good. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like I was confused as to why they dubbed it again <laughs> like that was a lot more like that's the only those are that's essentially the only change to that version is the new artwork and the second dub so it's like why did you go to all this trouble in such a specific fashion <laughs> uh, I mean it is the best version if you just want to play King uh, not, uh, if you just want to play Star Ocean 1 like it's it's not as buggy as the original. It uh, has everything from the PSP version. It's on modern consoles. It doesn't look horrendously smeared like the weird PS4 port of Second Evolution that you shouldn't play. I wonder if they'll fix the or do port of uh, two. I would like a Second Evolution R, especially if they do the art thing again because. Again, like the the new art is again very 2010s anime, but that they've they've kind of moved away. Like, there's a lot of very soft, like minimal line work in the soft colors and minimal line work in the uh, the aughts art. That's kind of faded back into style. There's a lot more just like busyness and uh, color variety in the 2010s artwork, which makes it feel like it. <laughs> a more logical update of the 90s artwork, so... Yeah. Did we get that? Did we get that PS4 hmm? port of 2? Or is that Japan only? We did not. That was Japan only, and it's a very, like... Again, in contrast to First Departure R, which is, like, not the most changed, but it clearly had some weird amount of effort put into it. That is a straight, like, bad upscale of the PSP version, Mm. which... The PSP version is already like making slight compromises on the the actual like pixel count of the original art, and then like the PS4 version is taking that, and I think it might actually allow you to blow it up to 4K on the PS4 Pro, which is super not what that art is supposed to have done to it. Don't do it. Just say no. So hopefully, there's eventually a second evolution R that can delete that port from existence. <laughs> But, yeah, I have to go to bed soon, so I just wanted to yeah, talk about a couple things and ask a question, and then I'll listen yeah. to it later. But um, yeah, I want to talk about how I uh, got through uh, uh, Paper Mario: The Origami King. Ah, for wheels. <laughs> it, it was a fun game. There were some issues with it, like 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 I mentioned earlier, like Nintendo needs to stop strangleholding the creative design aspects of the game. Because I think the team has a lot of good ideas, but they can't use them because Nintendo wants to protect its brand because money. But um it was I think I think the battle system was interesting, but it ended up being like a one trick pony at some points because so is the battle system ever, in Thousand Year Door. You know. But um <laughs> Anyways, the writing was really good, despite the 
the machinations of Nintendo to get them to not have original characters that actually look like they had the personality, so they had to do it through text. But, um, I ended up, uh, selling it because it's a game that I probably only play once. So rather than just collect dust on a shelf, I sold someone and used that money to buy the uh, Chuckles Mr. Green Dungeon Yay. Everybody. Yay! And, and the interesting thing is it was actually refurbished because um, apparently, I guess, there was a tear on the plastic from uh, shrink wrap and they couldn't sell it in store for whatever reason, so they sold it online. Nice. So the so the so, deal, the, right? so the DLC code actually worked. Oh, nice. And it gives and it gives me the I think the the mechanic class or whatever. Nice. Because like it has like him wearing goggles, and I suppose it's that class mechanic <laughs> machinist or engineer. But um. So I guess I'm playing. I'm playing that soon after I get through like a couple other things. But uh, I also played a uh, Mortal Shell, and uh, oh, yeah, that yeah. is a that is a Souls like game. But like it's it's fun, but it's also a little bit rough. But it's also incredibly short. It's like a third of the length of a Souls game. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, like, you only go to three areas, and then there's the main hub area. And then you fight the final boss. Yeah. And then you can do New Game Plus if you want, and then get even more strength weapons. And, like, instead of levels, you get abilities. And sometimes abilities also take your souls-like mechanic in the game and as well as this additional experience like mechanical called glimpse and then use those to level up your character's skills and um, the shell mechanic also has this weird thing called the hardening system which is kind of like an impromptu block it replaces the shield function in souls games if you have a shield and the interesting thing about it is you can set up attack, harden, and then an enemy will hit you, it'll take a hit, and you won't have to get damaged. Unless you're in a game plus, you take a tiny bit of damage. But uh, then you can continue your attack. And if you time it right, you can attack an enemy, freeze yourself with a harden, and then they'll attack you again to get hit again. So you can do additional damage that way. So you can use it offensively and defensively. Hmm. But, um... That's like a 30-buck game. I'd wait till sale on it, personally. But there might be DLC in the future. Because there's a few um, spots in this tomb where all your shells are stored that aren't filled out. So... That'd be interesting to see if we do anything later. But, um... That's that, but, um... Other than that, I've been playing a little bit of Dondar, which is an interesting Metroidvania, which your all your movements based on 
using the analog stick to jump to an area. And then you fire out a blast with your X button. Okay. Interesting. Or you can use special techniques like firing missiles and stuff. But, um, I do like missiles. But uh, that's all I have to say. But my Q&A question for you guys that I'll listen to later, because I've been playing catch-up on my podcast, so I don't know when I'll actually get to it. So I still have to listen to the rest of yours. We're not offended. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've been watching, listening to Science Rules, Bill Nye's science mm-hmm. podcast, call-in show. And a lot of coronavirus stuff going on. That, but, um, Depressing. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, my question is, what you guys think of Silent Protagonist? Is it time to retire the trope? I think you just gotta so, like just to roll with the kind of story you're telling. The very I'll tie it into like with Drag Quest. You think Drag Quest needs to evolve in several areas like that? Nah, I think nah. like you, you if you especially if you've played Eleven recently, like the protagonist of that is as talkative as he needs to be, which is to say that he talks when spoken to. So you get like dialogue options that kind of like give and especially I think. The issue that silent protagonists run into is that they're, like, narratively dead. Like, if the game relies on their internal, like, concept, it, like, their internal mental scape, like, it becomes a problem. But if it's them reacting, like, if you can give their reactions in a useful way, again, for Dragon Quest Eleven, that character emotes a lot, even if they're not saying a lot. I think that that's enough. And the, okay, the I'll change my question a bit then. Um, <clears throat> would you like a Dragon Quest game where the main character does have like actual spoken dialogue and actually has real decent story development? I mean, they, there are some ones with good story development. I would say that I kind of don't because the kinds of stories that Dragon Quest games tell are going to end up with that character has to be either essentially really stoic to begin with or plucky shonen and kind of irritating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dragon Quest, as an example, is like the series that has defined itself with that trope in a lot of ways. Yeah. And if you take away that trope, you've taken away one of that style of the, for the entire series. I think you'll think you'll... Yeah, I mean, it's not a series that relies on constant evolution of its format. No. So, no, no, no. I, I think you'll get your cl- the closest you're going to get is the Dino Daibokan game that they're making. Like I would but, imagine, Dai has to talk at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah, there I is mean, an anime he talks about manga. <laughs> so yeah, he's got a definite character to him. He he is not going to be a silent protagonist. I would like to see more like female protagonists, though. Like stories with just female protagonists, not one you could choose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, yeah, it moves at the speed of erosion. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah, eventually, maybe someday. And I'd like to see Sukiyama retire because I've mentioned that in the past. Why? But I don't need to re-explain it here. Yeah. Well, it's just gonna. That's just gonna be the course of time that does that. Mm-hmm. Actually, but, uh, I think that. It's into one of the questions we have later on with Fire Miner. Uh, oh, but yeah. that's it, so I'll see you guys later. See ya. See ya. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Let's see. We'll have to get yeah. to that. Uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I can see what he means with the silent protagonist sometimes because it's often just an excuse to help try and make the player think they're more like the main character of the story, but it often falls flat. Yeah, I think that a lot of games sort of do it because it's a very... This is, of course, not as common as it once was. This used to be much more common. The silent protagonist has become... Kind of rare, mostly in throwback games, I feel like, at this point. Yeah. But... I know, I mean... Yeah, I mean, you got some of that with the, the Persona games, still. Yeah, but the Persona games are always, like... Your character's talking a lot. They just never... Like, it's Show just always talk. a question posed to them. So, like... Yeah. You're always given a choice as to what they're going to say, and it's like, so they aren't talking as much as everyone else, but they are evidently, and you are seeing that they are talking quite a bit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I feel like in a lot of cases, this whole silent protagonist thing has just been replaced by, oh, you have dialogue choices. And, which I think is generally better. Like, yeah. even Zelda does that now. Yeah, I remember playing Skyward Sword, and one of the things that always struck me about how much I... One of those thing, things that won me over about that game very quickly was that you essentially had three modes that you could play Link in. He could be heroic, he could you could be contrarian, or you could just be an idiot. <laughs> like, dialogue... And any of those would work. <laughs> yeah. And, like, all of those dialogue options, you know, like, any time that Link should be talking, one of those dialogue options would pop up, and you would get something consistent like that. And I think that's that's also a useful thing, is that you can tell that... A, so one of the things that's nice about these dialogue uh, option silent protagonists is that you can tell very quickly how much of an internal mind state has been thought of by the writer. Because if you look yeah. at a badly written silent protagonist who's getting dialogue options, there's no consistency to how they react to things. But mm -hmm. again, to use Persona as a good example, the silent protagonists of Persona 3, 4, and 5 all react differently and consistently. You have different ways you can play them, but they're, the different modes you can put them in are all consistent. Yes. And... That's also even true of male protagonists of Persona 3 versus female protagonists of Persona 3 who has who have different modes of how they interact with people. Like if if the writing is concerned enough with the game to understand to with how the silent protagonist to understand how their interior mind works even if you aren't seeing all of it, then it's usually going to work. It's when I, I ranted about this months ago, but I was playing Wild Arms 1 they made a game about with heavy interest in the interiority of a silent protagonist and never gives you insight into what he's thinking. Hmm. And like that is a problem. Or, or even the fact that he's not human. Yeah, like that that's the thing that really gets it is that like you get to the point where it's like he finds out he's not human and like you're seeing his tragic backstory and he's not saying a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. He is not reacting I mean, even, in any way. <laughs> even Randy in Secret of Mana actually talked a few times. Yeah. And it's like, they, they would get better at that. Uh, like, when they made Wild Arms 2 entirely about, like, a character who's, like, torn between, like, these idealistic ideas of what heroism means and the fact that that means putting himself into the grinder for everyone. Like, and the they, fact that he's possessed by a demon. Yeah, and all of that. Like, 
just in general, like they were right, like, oh, no, this character needs to be ta- talking and thinking a lot. You can't get away with just having other people sort of like, huh, you look down, don't you? I wonder what that's about. Is it that thing that you're real depressed about? Mm, maybe. Yeah, it just, just doesn't work. Uh, let's see. To get to, we, to get to some more Fire Miners questions, actually. Uh, who are more likely to make... We kind of have already. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten to some of them, but I want to, like, once we've reached some of the ones we've already hit, I'll, uh, we can quickly move past them, but I want to make sure that I'm going down this list in order to make sure that we don't miss any. Uh, who are more likely to make fun of common tropes in RPGs, Western or Japanese developers? I don't know any Western RPGs that center around parodying these tropes, tropes except the Bard's Tale. I feel like you'll see bits of parody in games. Like, I remember Baldur's Gate 2 has some really strange jokes in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Western developers tend more toward... Pol- t- t- uh, tends, tend toward more... Uh, ugh, my math don't work today tend more towards pop culture jokes. Yeah, and like eventually and, like the games themselves become the pop culture they're referencing, but they there's less of like a concerted parody, I think. Whereas I mean, Japanese games have tons of pop culture stuff in them, but they also recognize that their own format is the pop culture. Yeah. Oh man, that and reminds so, me of Yeah. Oh god. So so I mean like the Sergeant Frog RPG made very tongue-in-cheek references to Dragon Quest, very mm-hmm. specifically calling it out at times. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. Um, or, like, in you can get, like, a mainstream, like, big franchise entry of a big game, like Yakuza 7, and it's like, oh, this is has several things that are just avowed parodies of Dragon Quest conceptually. And like, they actually state that it's parodies of Dragon Quest conceptually. Yeah, and it's like, or, uh, I feel like you'll get a quest that's a joke on quests and RPGs, but you generally won't get more than that in Western RPGs. Yeah. Or like, again, next week, uh, from Download Store, Moon RPG Remix Adventure, yeah. which, which its entire framing device is a dedicated lampoon of Dragon Quest with a dash of Legend of Zelda. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wish there was more of that in Western RPGs. I always feel this is what's always drawn me to Japanese RPGs because they just do more interesting things, like what we're talking about here, I mean, with just parodying themselves, but just in general with everything. But too yeah, many Western remember, RPGs are just kind of like there's a lot of fairly sterile ones. Yeah, even, yeah. like but, there's there's so many games that just copy each other and don't like even have fun with the fact that they're copying each other. They just straight up copy each other. Like the 10 bajillion Diablo clones. It feels weird to think about it, but I was going to say, I remember there's like, isn't it Baldur's Gate 2 that has like a weird joke where like someone, the the game sort of implies that you get in a fight with a different player party. (laughs) Which game was this? Baldur's Gate 2 of all things. Like it's a real (laughs) old example. It's like, a party comes in and they like sort of pick a fight with you and like you destroy them because they're a relatively low level party by that point in the because you know Baldur's Gate 2 is essentially reaching like nearly epic level campaigns by the end of it and so you destroy them and then it just sort of shows them reload themselves and get back up and leave but <laughs> I want to say it's Baldur's Gate 2 that does this I remember reading about this and like I'm not an expert on that era of western RPG but like that's that's a cute joke I like that joke but yeah, or like, uh, 
I was going to say, this is the kind of thing that happens more with indie developers or with studios that are still relatively young and have most of their core enthusiastic personnel not laid off yet. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, there's a lot of a lot yeah. of it is corporate. Like this idea that like they always want to hit. I don't want to slam these because I don't dislike them, but I do think that there's a very like specific corporate idea of like self-effacement that exists in modern superhero movies. Like this yeah. idea that you like you kind of crack a joke, but it's not really at your own expense, and it's not really examining what's going on, but it is like sort of like a haha. Like the thing this yeah. is based on is kind of silly, but like in a non-specific way. And yeah, yeah like I, I feel like that's what the kind of limit that big publishers will allow on making jokes about the format of a video game. Sincerity. Yeah. So like I mean, th this kind of thing you will find it in American games, but only in the indie developers. Yeah, you'll see a lot of ones that are sort of but again a lot of the indie developers are also examining the format of japanese rpgs rather than western ones too yeah so. like yeah. you get to something like undertale and it's like well this is very heavily influenced by moon but it's also just like its concept is very focused on the japanese conception of an rpg not the western one yeah um yeah but again that's i mean that's a major difference in industry as well because a lot of japanese game development studios have been together for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years now even. Just don't leave. So it's the same people who made them making the jokes. Yeah, yeah and you don't have, the, you don't have the, the churn that you find mm. in the American industry of just people being hired for short amounts of time and then getting kicked out. Yeah. yeah. This does remind me that like this, this can be done poorly. Uh, I remember... I don't think I've ever been more irritated at the sheer laziness of comedy in a JRPG than there's one segment in 3D.GameHeroes. I'm curious. I've ranted about this before. I'm curious if you guys remember. No. There's one segment. You go into a cave. It's a dude. He's standing next to two girls. One of them's blonde. One of them has green hair. And he's like, I'm not sure which of these two to marry. The girl who's my childhood friend or the one with the big dowry. <laughs> and then you can tell Direct him which five. one. Yeah, and you can tell him which one to marry, and he'll pick that, and he's like, I'm sure glad I listened to you, and it's just like, you need to do something more with that. You can't just say Dragon Quest V happened. Yeah. Like, that okay, is the, um, the lower bound of jokes that you can make. Okay, <laughs> then, um, sad. So one series that I do know that does do this with Western material is Kingdom of Loathing. Oh, yeah. And they, I mean, it's... It goes through cycles because it's an online game for the most part, but West of Loathing does a lot too, mm -hmm. where um, like there's a running joke where in West of Loathing, where as it turns out, your goblin companion, if you go with him, um, I mean, goblins reproduce by spores because that's a yeah. Warhammer reference. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. And I mean, they'll, they'll make Japanese RPG references too, but a lot of it is primarily... References to Dungeons and Dragons, American movies, Warhammer, other things. And it is very much the kind of thing that um, we would be talking about here. Mm -hmm. So, But yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, we kind of kind of come to a consensus that's like, there's a less skin deep parody is usually more likely to be a Japanese one. Yeah. 
but I mean, like, if you want to parody like Western RPGs, like one of the things I think that kind of informs Japanese RPG parody is that like when you're doing that, you're parodying like mechanics which are much more deeply rooted in, like, specific genre touchstones, whereas, like, Western RPGs are constantly, like, trying to sort of pull in other genres. So to parody a Western RPG, you're parodying, like, essentially just decades of, like, fantasy literature and tabletop RPGs, which I think uh, it, it makes any parody inherently less specific, I guess. Okay, might as well... It sounds like a perfect time to put in a plug for the fantasy um, Dungeons & Dragons parody online Kindle series, P- Princesses of the Pizza Parlor. <laughs> Good idea. Yes, just because, yes, the series is a, spe- um, well, very unspecifically uses Pathfinder and Dragon Quest 3.5 all the way through without mentioning a single thing that could possibly be actionable un- outside of open gaming license. <laughs> But yeah, like uh, going that's out of my way right not now. to mention the Michael names of Well, that reminds me of a question I had, and mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. haven't bothered to actually look up yet. Is Pathfinder like still licensing their systems from Wizards of the Coast? I think they eventually changed them enough that they aren't licensed anymore. Okay. Because um, I just yeah. picked up the the Pathfinder game on Xbox, and I was like looking on the back, like to see if there was, like, any reference to Wizards of the Coast, and there is not. So yeah, I that would lead me to believe that they enough. must have changed the rules enough that they yeah. aren't licensed anymore. Because I know they were originally, Either that or like, the open gaming license covers some of it, I guess. Maybe. I would imagine that's what gives them a lot of cover for it, but yeah. yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I can't think of any, uh, any games that specifically do like a full WRPG purity outside of the Bard's Tale, but like that that uh, that's kind of what reminded right. me of oh god. Um Quest for Glory. Quest for Glory oh, series. Quest for Glory, yeah. Yeah. And Hero You, the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, like you and like the, the Bard's Tale thing reminded me of like there's bits of that that are like really specifically like Conan jokes and it's like I mean that makes sense because that's you dig deep enough into like D and D fantasy, and you'll eventually reach Conan. So it's just like, yeah. eh, well, it's just one of those things. It's like the 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 lineage of uh, these has a less easy to graph origin point other than D and D, which then dives back into Lord of the Rings and Conan in unequal measure. But yeah, so. It's it's hard to make a coherent parody of the Western RPG unless you're parodying specific aspects of game design, which are not common to begin with. So, yeah. Uh, in conclusion, uh, we are all safer for the fact that, uh, like, the Conan era of things to parody has been dead for at least thirty years at this point. Yeah, I think that the end period of cultural relevance was Hanna-Barbera uh, writers getting bored and making Thundar the Barbarian, which very much uh, is as sanitized a version of that fantasy as possible. Mm. Can you tell I've watched some weird old cartoons recently? Yes. 
gonna say recently. I still remember stuff from thirty five years ago. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's watching it again I, recently that puts it back in your brain. <laughs> I know I haven't actually seen the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon in literally oh, thirty four years, and I still remember bits and pieces of it. I oh, just watched the live action movie instead. Oh, I remember I that, that one too, and thank you for reminding me. <laughs> no, but no, no. I'm also remembering Dragon Warrior: Legend of Abel. Of course. Yes. And remembering how confused I was when I finally rented the entire series in Japan and realized that my memories of the American showing were completely out of order from what I'm seeing here. I can't believe that an American anime licensor in the 90s would just arbitrarily reorder things. That would be silly. Oh, it didn't just arbitrarily reorder. I'm pretty sure it managed to cut things up and re and like recompose entire episodes. In a few yeah, cases. that sounds very much like what an American licensor would have done at the time. Yes, it was the age of the massacre. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really did enjoy the um, the entire series on DVD in Japan. Eventually, though, it was well worth it. I feel like one of my favorites of those, like let's just cut up a couple series and see what happens, uh, is one that is almost completely forgotten. What Robotech? No, no, Robotech is still uh, hounding people to this day. No, uh, oh, yeah. one of my one of my favorites in terms of, like, I can almost see why you thought this would work, but it was still a bad idea, is that they hacked together two different Leiji Matsumoto series. They did uh, Captain Harlock and Queen Millennia and just slammed them together. And you can almost make that work because Leiji Matsumoto's art style is very distinct and both of them have it. But it still doesn't make yeah. any damn sense and I don't know why they did it. <laughs> Speaking of random cultural references, my daughter has been watching uh, Ladybug and Cat Noir. Recently. Oh man! And there was this one, one character's mom who was a former rock and roll lady, and when she got turned into a villain, it was Captain Hard Rock. And I'm looking at the character <laughs> design, looking at the fact that her boat on the River Seine turns into a pirate ship, and it's like somebody was a big fan of Captain Harlock back in the day. <laughs> Listen, Captain Harlock's a really good design. Yes, you gotta knock it I off. Mean, but, I mean, this was so very obviously based on Captain Harlock. And, like, oh, man. So, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I think there's actually just... They just recently uh, put a couple of the Harlock movies on a Western streaming service. So, uh, anyone that's interested, I think there's a couple of Captain Harlock movies on Retro Crush. So, maybe go look at that. So, shall we try and finish the first section of Fire Miner's things and leave the rest for next week? That's what I was thinking. It's always nice to have more questions, and we're, we've got a lot to say, evidently. So, And we're up to an hour and a half almost right now. Yeah. Uh, is there any successful high school sim life simulator slash RPG hybrids other than Persona? I'm actually surprised that there aren't many games trying to copy the life simulation aspects of Persona. They seem only interested in copying the aesthetic. Uh, examples being... Mind Zero, Tokyo Xanadu, uh, and the first Trails of Cold Steel play too much like a traditional RPG. The closest I could think of is Blue Reflection. Man, that is a that is already a deep cut, and it's only like three years old. Um, yeah, it's like there are, but most of them don't leave Japan because this is a a very specific subgenre of yeah. video game that crosses multiple other things, not always RPGs. Yeah, like this this kind of life simulation thing is sort of 
never really caught on in America, at least not this kind of life simulation. The sort um, of like schedule well, heavy one. The, yeah, the Gakuen Mono. Yeah, uh, school life. However, I have to say, um, Hero U, sequel to Quest for Glory, actually does follow this format. Oh, that's interesting. It, it is technically a Gakuen Mono game. I'm not huh. quite sure if that's what they were intending for when they did it, but, but it's it is. what they've ended up doing, regardless of yeah. the intent. No, I mean, the Quest for Glory games all had a kind of a day-to-day -day thing to begin with, and a yeah. sort of a set schedule that would eventually happen. It just yeah. ha so happens that if you apply this to a semi-academic-style setting, this is what you get. Yeah. So. But See. yeah, this format is, in fact, very common for visual novels, um, loves or dating simulators, adventure whatevers, and some RPGs in Japan. Yeah, there was like a... Like, to, to give an idea of how pervasive the genre's, like, tentacles are in Japan, I can think of multiple fighting games that had this kind of mode back in the day. Yeah. I mean, and it's they, it's hard to call it a genre. It's more of a meta-genre. Yeah, is, like this, this sort of mechanical underpinning that sometimes gets applied to other genres. And manga and anime yeah. and other things. Yeah. Like... Uh, the for for those curious, uh, rival schools united by fate in Japan has obviously a school life mode that has uh, elements of this, and also truly bizarre uh, King of Fighters visual novel, the King of Fighters Kyo also did this. So late '90s were a hotbed of doing this. I think in part because uh, dating sims were hot at the time. Yeah, <laughs> they were kind of. Like, especially the merging of dating sim aspects into other genres was kind of getting big at the time. Uh, the more visual novel-y dating sim style showing up in uh, Sakura Tyson, which was quite popular at the time, would have also... I was going to say Sakura Wars had this as well. Yeah, like, it, it's kind of... It's probably a huge influence on a lot of this kind of combination game because that was a very... That was a big game at the time. Uh but yeah, uh, the, these, this, this kind of thing, yeah, I, I think there's probably some degree of assumption that despite Persona being popular, that Western audiences just won't get this. But yeah, like, I mean, we get one of the best options for it, but I don't, I, I feel like there's still reticence from Western publishers at the idea that Western audiences would be willing to play this kind of game if it wasn't attached to something that had as much of a cult following as Persona slash Shin Megami Tensei. Mm -hmm. Which is a bit of a shame. It's a really useful way to modulate the pace of an, of an RPG, and it gives you a lot of options to, like, develop characters in situations where they don't have something better they need to be doing right this second. But... Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, let's see. Um, it's, oh, what was it? Uh, oh, yeah. Brain not working. What was I playing earlier this summer? Monster Strike. Oh, yeah. Monster Strike uses this format. Oh, I just remembered so, another... Uh, I just remembered another one that I think is using like a variant of this idea, like 
so when I when I think of this in the most traditional sense, I think of things that aren't actually happening with like a real time clock. Mm-hmm. But there, I, I have seen games that also use like a real time clock to sort of force you to kind of get moving. And so, kind of a adjacent game was we only got one of these, uh, the PSP one, but Kanka Bancho has this kind of like life si- life simulation underpinning in between and if all it has of these. The ter- and it has, if it has the word Bancho in it, then it's also a parody of 1980s high school tropes. Oh, it super is. Like, it's it's a combination... Gameplay-wise, it's a combination of, like, that kind of RPG and, like, River City Ransom. Yep, that's exactly what I would expect. Yeah, and I mean, that's fun. Like, Bancho, Bancho like, subculture is one of those things that's, like, it's very fun... It can be very fun whether it's taking itself seriously or not, which is why you can get anything from like something straight face to Cromartie High School and have a good time. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, you still need. I, I still recommend that. I think that you would have a good time if you uh, read or watched Cromartie at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay, noted. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one of those things where it's just like this underpinning has found its way into a lot of stuff. Uh, I didn't even realize how many Kankabancho games there were in Japan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, moving on to the next question. Uh, speaking of uh, Blue Reflection, will Gus try to do a sequel or remake for it? It feels to me like the developers didn't really know what to do with the game. Still pining for a good RPG where you could be a magical girl. How the hell haven't more ma- uh, more magical RP- girl RPGs existed save for anime tie-ins? I feel like that's a lot to do with what the assumed demographics are. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that Gust was one who would actually make a game like that because Gust's demographic has always been more skewed towards the girls. Yeah. yeah. Like, for what it's worth, the the assumption in both Japan, and, in both America and in Japan, is that you can't sell, like, a straight-faced magical girl uh, like, genre example to men. Like, you have to the the most you can do is you can sell it to otaku if you make it very grim in some fashion. <laughs> but yeah, which is why uh, this is also something you are more likely to see with an indie developer. Yeah, I, I feel like an indie developer would be right for doing this kind of thing. I'm not sure if any have yet, but well, I'm sure they have. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not aware of any that have. I guess the better way yeah. to put it. But yeah. Okay. I've met some people that like Blue Reflection. I never got around to it. I like the concept, but... It looks neat. Yeah. I really should try sometime. Yeah, but yeah, Blue Reflection's a good example of one of um, Gust's experiment titles. Yeah, it they... doesn't seem to have panned out. They're usually pretty quick to follow up on things that pan out. Yeah. I mean, not always in the way you would expect either, because like, um, like um, one of the games that made for PlayStation called um, Noir New... Uh, noir you noir yeah um it never had a direct sequel or any kind of sequel but a lot of the mechanics that defined its combat went on to the playstation 2 game um taisho mononoke iben roku which was 
Mm-hmm. Very different in its own way. Also didn't get a sequel, but uh, from there, a lot of the base mechanics and added uh, mechanics went on to the Artinelico series, which did have sequels. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we may not see something like a sequel to Blue Reflection, but we might actually see a game that has similarities to it in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like... It, it's, it's one of those things I personally... I feel like if they were going to follow up on it, we would probably seen something by now. It's been about three years, I think. So I, yeah. I wouldn't put the numbers as very likely... Uh, at this point, never say never. It'd be kind of neat if they tried to iron out what's wrong with it, but it seems like I, I would imagine that whatever Gus team worked on that ended up split between like Adelaide and Fairy Tale at this stage. <laughs> Probably that Fairy Tale game is very good, by the way. I've heard. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's one of those things where like they seem like a company that's large enough to make. About two titles uh, concurrently, maybe three. But yeah, yeah. I, I I would imagine that like you're usually getting you've always got an Adelaide team, and you've some you've usually got some sort of secondary project, whether that's an Adelaide spinoff or not, and maybe a smaller scale spinoff title as well. But yeah, that's that's about as much as you can get out of them, and I think that they're mostly book solid at this point. Uh, yeah, bit of a shame. There's potential in the concept of like a magical girl RPG, but it doesn't seem like anyone, any, any major developer is currently in the process of making that. But I, I feel like you can, if you root around the indie scene enough, you can probably find something closer to what you're looking for. But yeah, yeah, just just searching magical girl in the Steam store comes up with all sorts of things, not all necessarily good ones, but yeah. It's definitely like an aesthetic that people are interested in pushing more of. And, and for some reason, one of these is definitely an RPG Maker game. And oh, yeah. No, no, I mean, that's not the weird part. The weird part is the fact that the price tag says 21,100 yen. That is a insane number. What? I'm like, $211. somebody accidentally put too many zeros in there because, yeah, that's, that's about $200. And, I mean... Granted, that would almost pay for one side of the boob jobs on some of these character models. Oh, heavens. Okay, I want as little to do with this incredibly expensive game as possible. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's, let's hit Fireminer's last question before we have to interrogate that further. Uh, yes. Do you think Koei Tecmo has been a bad influence on Gus? As much as I love Samurai Warriors and their older historical simulation titles, companies going downhill with their over-exploitation of microtransactions, and I worry who they may be dragging them down with them. Uh, um, like, well, my, I'm we were not, talking earlier about... Oh, yes? Oh, I was just going to say, I'm not Gus history knowledgeable enough to speak reasonably on this. Man, all I can say is that earlier we were talking about, like, sincerity and... Core studio versus corporate oversight and overmanagement. Yeah, and that was one of the things I was worried about when Koei Tecmo took over Gust was like 
um, management from outside interfering with the creative process. And yeah, uh, I mean, we saw things like uh, um, I'm not sure how much like um, there, I know there were one or two games that Gus was working on that got canceled at some point without much fanfare. And that may have been because of problems that led up to the acquisition. It may have been because of the acquisition. I'm not sure which. Mm. But at the same time, I'm thinking a lot of the issues with the with the uh, mysterious trilogy mm-hmm. as of like some pull and push and pull between the company the the studio and its new corporate openings. Yeah. So I mean. DLC, I mean, DLC and microtransactions are not really a thing that you get into much with the core games in Atelier. I mean, yeah. they do have a cut. I mean, even since the Dusk Time days, they've had some like bonus scenarios and um, mostly outfits. Mm-hmm. But that's really all that you can do with that game. And that, for that, is, yeah, like it, it's hard to. Like outfit DLC has never really bothered me personally. Like I, it's honestly something I just I don't care. Like, sell it to whoever wants it. But like, an outfit's an outfit, whatever. Like, it, I don't think I've ever like. Usually when I hear about Atelier games being incomplete, they're just kind of incomplete in a very just sort of way, where it's just like, oh, yeah. this is just broken. But. Uh, or, like, they're incomplete in an irreparable fashion, where it's like, oh, this is just kind of half-baked. But, yeah, I've played a couple of those. Content, content of that DLC is just sort of like... Hello? 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 Okay, did I disappear? I thought I disappeared. Uh, yeah, you think, disappeared for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, like, as as an outsider looking at it, like, from what I can tell, not a lot of... Like, what ails a typical Atelier game is not something that can be caused by or fixed with DLC. So... Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, I would be more concerned about, like, things like the Mysterious trilogy that seemed to have a lot of Issues, although they seem to have kind of pulled out of that. People seem to really like uh, Ryza, and hopefully Ryza Two isn't garbage. But yeah, I mean, like even even before Koei Tecmo, you would have like these sorts of up and downs on like which of the like which Atelier subseries were interesting and which ones were just kind of oh well, that's regrettable. So yeah. I, I, I just do hope that eventually they go back to Chrono Fran- Chronos Fantasia and actually finish it. I'm curious. To oh yeah, that was the thing I'm looking at on Wikipedia right now. That they apparently canceled after three years of not talking about it. Yep, I actually um, asked somebody. I had the chance to ask somebody who was working with Gust for um, publishing things at TGS one year, and she was like, "Oh, I've never heard of that one." I'm like, "Yeah, that doesn't that does yeah. not fill me with much confidence now." <laughs> That's one of those like. Oh, someone's working with them to publish that. Uh, oh, they've never... Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was like three months or two... Uh, actually, no, I think that was like three weeks before they announced that the game was completely dead. I can't uh, believe you talked to them and someone asked about it and they were forced to finally admit that it was dead. Oh, oh no, 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 no. This was um, somebody... I think it was 
think it was now she worked she, at the time she was working through Nippon Ichi mm. uh, or Nisa. Yeah. Um, and I just um, she'd mentioned that Nice was working with a t- with Gust for some projects and asked her about Chronos Fantasia. And she's like, "Oh, never heard of that one." It's like, "Yeah, okay." And well, I should probably say, uh, shed my tears now because it's not coming back. Yeah, <laughs> though a lot of the ideas I remember reading about it seem to have been expressed in Nora on the DS. Hmm. They had very similar concepts of item. Um, item synthesis, time management yeah. stuff, literal time management. I wonder how much it was affected by being a PS Vita specific title, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, so uh, it's, it's one of those things like uh, I would be weary of what Koei Tecmo is doing at any given moment, but. I feel like a lot of other other than the amount of any given game's costume DLC, I would imagine uh, what Koei Tecmo is changing about Gust's workflow is probably something that we won't be able to see from the outside. Other than, oh man, these all run on a Dynasty Warriors engine now, and hmm, well maybe that could have uh, done with less uh, corporate oversight because it sure did uh, make for kind of a confused final product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of, I think, all we can really say about that. Unless Wheels has something to say. Nah. Wheels is dead, the final nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Just, I mean, yeah, I mean, some games are really fit for over-exploitation of the microtransactions, but a lot of JRPGs aren't. Yeah, I wonder and, if Koei... And especially not in the same way that Western RPGs will do it sometimes. So yeah, Let's all think about how, like locking a character behind DLC. Let's just do it. Just do it. See what happens. Yeah. I wonder if Koei Tecmo might cool its jets on this stuff after what happened with Dead or Alive 6. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh... Yeah, I think that runs us out of uh, stuff that we have time for at the moment. There's uh, still the... We'll, we'll get back to Fireminer's questions next episode, we promise. Uh, there's also a question on episode 173 that we can maybe save because it's... Uh, there's We've got a lot of opinions about best combat systems, so... Yes. That, that could take a while. Yes. So maybe save that for next uh, for next episode. We'll get we'll get back to it, dog party. So, otherwise, uh, would you like to plug Princesses of Pizza Parlor again? Make sure that people go home remembering it. <laughs> sure, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor episodes one through nine available on Kindle Unlimited. Michael Yarimizu. Um, if you prefer physical versions, there are physical collections of the first three and the episodes and then episodes four through six still working on the third one third collection should be done soon yeah yep those are available uh and i think uh i i have nothing to plug wheels has nothing to plug 
uh, questions go in the podcast zone, uh, compete with Fireminer for the uh, privilege of being referenced many times because sometimes someone has a lot of questions and boy, we appreciate that. What happens, but uh, yeah, uh, they can go in the podcast section or they can go in the comment section. Uh, thank you, Dog Party, who I don't think has questioned us before, so always good to see new questioners. Uh, we will get to more stuff next Friday, I hope. Yeah, yeah, we should. Which um, I apparently do not have a sixth period class next Friday, which means I am available early and for as long as we need to talk. Woohoo! Good, yeah. good. We can, we can plan for that. Yeah. yeah, today's timing was brought to you by the fact that between an an opening ceremony on Zoom, a classroom cleanup, and a homeroom. I only had four, uh, technically I was only supposed to have fourth and fifth period classes today, but then they decided to send everyone home at, at lunch <laughs> because of the heat. So huh. literally everybody in the school had exactly one actual class today. Paradise. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so my partner teacher and I had to come up with a crossword puzzle re- like within 10 minutes of the class starting. That's rough. Um, That's difficult. Yeah. Oh, well. So, yeah. So, anyway, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, not crossword related, but still fun. So, okay. And, yeah, questions go in the comment section or they go in the podcast section of the RP Gamer Discord. If you haven't joined that, why haven't you? Do you just not use Discord? Do you hate us? If you hate us, come to the Discord and tell us. Yes. Um, come so Discord with us. Well, someone has. Discordia! Had to. Discordia! Yeah. Oh, heavens. Okay, nope, I need to put a stop to this. Uh, play Metal Max. Uh, otherwise... Well, 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 hold hold on, hold on. Don't play Metal Max Xeno. Play the good ones. Play Metal Max 3. It's available, if you know where to look. Yeah. Um, and see, today's 20th, one, two, three weeks until I can get Metal Max Xeno Reborn. Oh, man, that's, that, that deserves, like, uh, I'm just... I'm waiting with bated breath for the for whether they fixed it. Can please they save good. it? Please Can be they good. salvage please it? Please be good. Please be good. If it's good, yes. please be localized. If it's not, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Otherwise, see you, space cowboys. See you.